Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Redefining Society, one of the channels that we have on ITSP Magazine. We look, as you know, at the technology, at the society, at the cybersecurity, and sometimes it's the two of the topics, sometimes it's more specific at the intersection of uh, one in particular. And today, I would say it is technology and society because it touches what is the future of our society, which is the next generations, the young generation. And it's always complicated, and uh, maybe we don't think enough about it when we uh, invent technology, we push technology. But thankfully, there are people that do that. That's their job. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of these person is actually my guest today, uh, Dr. Sonia Livingston. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Marco. Yeah, and it's great to see you again. And uh, it, it was almost a year ago at the day today that we had a conversation. And that one um, was about parenting for a digital future. And it was a book that you that you wrote, if I remember well. And, and we were talking about how the parents may not be educated enough to then educate the kids. Uh, so that, that was that conversation. And today we're going to go deeper into a, a topic that is still part of that conversation, but maybe even more relevant, at least in my opinion. And I know that that's what you've been following lately. So let's start with a little bit about you so that people know who you are. And if they want, of course, they can go back on the, on the podcast and listen to our prior conversation as well. Sure. Um, I'm, uh, I began life as a social psychologist and um, I got into researching children and young people's um, lives and experiences in relation to new media, digital technologies, the internet, um, call it what you will, um, quite a long time ago. And I've been kind of following how the digital world has, has changed and evolved around uh, young people. So I come at this as a researcher kind of always thinking about the experience of young people, but kind of interested in how 
uh, this informs debates also about regulation and um, parental advice and um, how young people should be educated around the digital world too. And that's not an easy task, that's, that's for sure. I feel like when we talk about society and we talk about legislation, it, it seems like society moves a little bit faster than the, than the rhythm that legislator can, can keep up with. And, and, and technology lately has been <laughs> growing. Technology really um, way too much. <laughs> even faster, absolutely. And regulation, you can see that regulators are trying, educators are trying, parents are trying, but young people are often kind of in the vanguard. They're exploring the, you know, the interesting and sometimes difficult spaces of the of the digital world faster and and kind of more, um, you know, experimental and creative ways. So, uh, yeah, I think um, just from my point of view just keeping up with where young people are going and what they're doing online is a is an interesting kind of a search task but then um i'm increasingly committed to trying to kind of bring their voices and their experiences back into those wider debates so that as we think about society we kind of recognize that young people are often in a very different different and sometimes very difficult um place in relation to technology yeah and just to connect to the topic of today's conversation uh, the the way I see this is again I repeat that the technology is growing so much faster. If I think back on my days, technology was a new stereo system, the TV, and everything. Well, maybe not the stereo, but the TV was something that parents were like, kids shouldn't stay too much in front of the TV. It's not good. And then gaming, and then the internet come up, and they all let's call it Pandora's box, because how do you even define what the internet is? And, and social media probably amplified all of that. And so when you were talking last time, well, what, just to recap, what, what are the tools that parents can use and where can they focus? I mean, is it like not the right answer for controlling and helping kids to, to get the knowledge of how to use the internet? Well, what we um, found in, in Parenting for Digital Future was an incredible diverse range of ways in which parents are responding and some, you know, kind of really trying to sort of geek out with their kids and be um, be in the vanguard with them so they would understand the, the challenges and encourage them to, you know, become kind of the, the digital citizens that, that maybe is needed in that in that unknown future and others um you know you could see a kind of hanging back and trying to kind of hang on to in-person experiences and you know real life um uh physical embodied engagement with the world um and most parents you know somewhere in between trying to kind of achieve the this magical balancing act between between kind of embracing change and um holding on to traditional things that they've, they've always valued and um, within that diversity of parents and young people's experiences, some were really struggling and some are facing some, you know, forms of disadvantage or vulnerability that made their online experiences particularly intense. Um, and so in the new work, uh, since the book, I've been trying to kind of understand better who are the young people who are particularly vulnerable and what does the internet look like to them? Because the internet is not the same thing for everyone. It's, and, and if you've, you know, if you are very anxious or depressed or lonely, or you, you know, you've got a kind of diagnosable problem, 
um, it can it can become a very different kind of place. Uh, sometimes positive, but in lots of ways negative. Yeah, I'm glad that you just uh, went straight into the today's topic. And and I mean, just just keep going. I mean, if somebody doesn't know anything about it, maybe because they they're not facing this reality. And I like how you frame the conversation between, you know, I call it the blurry thin line between real life and virtual life. And maybe we'll touch to that in the, in the end with the metaverse as well. But let's focus on this. So if people don't know, they're not in, 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 in that situation, what is important, the most important things to understand about people, uh, I mean, adolescents and kids with, uh, with health, mental health vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. that it makes the internet even more a, a, a dangerous mm -hmm. place to be. Yeah, I, I, I would say, Marco, that there are, there are kind of two, um, two ways of coming at um, young people's experience that are really, really crucial. So one is, you know, in a way, as we've always known, um, they're you know, offline, their regular lives matter. Um, so, um, and, and are the biggest influence. So if young people are feeling intense academic pressure or they have body image issues or their parents or their family life is, is chaotic or difficult or, or, or throwing up, you know, all kinds of problems for them or they're struggling with, uh, I don't know, discrimination or poverty. You know, what we, what we said in Parenting for Digital Future was all those offline problems kind of shape how you engage with tech with the with the internet and what you look for in it and where you go when when you go online or, or, or what your what problems you might be trying to solve so for young people who who do find themselves living with with life's difficulties their approach to the internet is from a different mindset from those of you know your kind of happy well-balanced well-supported children and it means they search in different ways they uh, find um, support from different places so their what what their online world looks like could be very different and I think those who don't recognize this tend to see assume everyone turns on their smartphone and sees the same kinds of things, the same kinds of invitations or the same kinds of images, and they don't. So young people have been telling me that they might put up, you know, they might go to Instagram or TikTok and they are just flooded with images of self-harm or depressing images or um, invitations to kind of join with others who are really um, suffering and, uh, unhappy and sometimes um, uh, you know those can be quite um, unnerving and um, uh, bizarre places in, in various ways um, and and so there you know they turn on their phone and the invitations the offering there is according to how they've used it before according to what they might have looked for but also um, and this is the kind of second thing to think about, in addition to where they're coming from in their lives, there's what does the uh, social media platform or the gaming platform or the um, kind of online world offer to them. And that's a matter increasingly of kind of algorithmic processes that are trying to grab our attention. We all understand, I think, a bit about the attention economy now, but trying to kind of offer a more 
um, uh, absorbing and attention grabbing experience. So if you bring those two things together, you can find young people really kind of going down a rabbit hole of feeling depressed, looking for something that might express their mood or, you know, kind of capture how they're feeling. And then they're offered a whole lot more and more extreme and kind of taken very quickly down a rabbit hole that can um, move them from um, you know, unhappy to desperate or from thinking about self-harm to being triggered into self-harm or, you know, so, so it's that, it's that kind of double action. There's, there's things going wrong in some young people's lives and there's the way in which the kind of attention grabbing algorithms of, of, of the um, online world kind of takes them and leads them in particular directions. Um, so it's very much a kind of pathway that goes, you know, that is online and offline together. It is that thin blurry line, um, but it does mean that some young people are in a very different place to, to others. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking about the many conversation we have about you know the the eco chamber, the the bubble of information, and we have seen that with a lot of situation, even like voting and information manipulation and reinforcing the the lie, the fake news, or whatever it is. So that algorithm that you're talking about, it's obviously affecting everyone. And are companies starting to do something about it, or is just we don't care. We're making money, and uh, and it's all game. Or we cannot tell if somebody is more prone to receiving the message in a certain way or in another. Who is doing something about it? I mean, I we in 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 doing our recent research, we did interview people from a number of the main companies as well as. Um, some of those kind of, you know, responsible working with the big children's charities and um, uh, regulators. Um, I, I think uh, there's absolutely no question, not enough is being done. Um, and there's no question that the major in the big, uh, in the big platforms, you know, we know who they are, that the vast majority of the effort is going on making the platforms um, more profitable, uh, wider reach, more um, gathering more attention, and so on. Of course, there are um, they they are increasingly appointing people who who do have um, young people's well being. Uh, um, uh, in mind as their job description as part of their responsibility. So I think there's increasingly a kind of a debate within some of the big um, companies about how to um, look out for young people's well-being without, well, that's always the question, you know, can, can it be done without cost? No, it can't. Um, can it be done without um, kind of reining in the, the, the voracious business model? No, it can't. So, you know, there is a real point fight I think going on within some of the companies where young people's well-being is up against the profit motive in a in a really um, obvious way um I, I I have a bit of sympathy for the companies in the sense I think it is quite hard when you when you have a young person you know you have young people mixing in with everyone else in your game or on your social media platform they have said to me they don't know how to tell you know, is this a young person who is playfully acting up or desperately acting out? Is this a person who's venting because it seems like a fun, anonymous space where you can say anything and they'll explore the possibilities? Or is that a young person venting because they are actually kind of desperate and don't 
have you know a kind of other ways to to kind of deal with their um uh, their unhappiness so I, I i can see that it is difficult but on the other hand i'm underwhelmed shall we say at the efforts that have been made so far and i think for many uh, parents and educators kind of you know knowing that young people are being taken into this kind of you know this space that is not designed with with their well-being in mind um it is really scary because they're taken on these very personalized pathways that it's just very hard for any observing caring adult to kind of get a grip on and and respond so i think um uh it is so it's difficult for the companies, but on the other hand, they have, you know, they have they have surmounted many amazing difficulties to rule the world and grab all of our attention. And uh, I think there is a whole lot more that they could be doing. Now, let me ask you this. When you're let's assume that artificial intelligence is going to help to detect all of these and who knows, probably. I, I believe it will in in a certain way, even if I wouldn't trust it with my deciding for my life, that's for sure, but at least, you know, alert something that is maybe going on and, and there is not many f false positive, right? Mm. But even if that is the case, is, is blocking, creating barriers, uh, funneling into a, a, an internet, a wall garden going to help or or is going to make things worse because it's just creating another fictional world for, for mm -hmm. you know, it's not when you see like there is the, the Disney website community just for kids, right? And every, all the content there, like, would that be the answer to, to create a, an internet that no. is? <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, I think for younger children so there's an issue about younger children right. being kind of drawn into spaces for older people than adults um i think many would say that um yeah we need to build more positive spaces for young children that are fun that aren't all about i mean all about you know other kinds of monetizing of their attention through advertising and and so on but you know so let's yeah let's let's design positive kind of play spaces for children. This is what we've been arguing in um, our Playful by Design work, that for younger ones, there have to be spaces to play online, just like offline, without them mm -hmm. being taken on these kind of profitable pathways um, into, into risky spaces. But for, for adolescents, for teenagers, I mean, they desperately want to be in real places they want to be with other people they don't want to be put in a walled garden that's just for for little kids um i i wonder if there's a way of aligning what they want actually with what a lot of other adults want i think a lot of um adults we're hearing also don't want to be have their spaces kind of ruined by expressions of racism and misogyny and violence and pornography you know that there, there can be places you know if I, I i don't want to come over like a kind of you know really censorious person but i think we can have a sense of what our um public spaces, common spaces where kind of rules of civility apply and then niche spaces, specialized spaces, okay, where, you know, we, we don't want censorship, but we don't want to make it so easy for young people to go there. And we definitely don't want a, an algorithm that draws them there and kind of pushes them always towards more and more extreme content.
So I think there are issues around what the what is said and what images are shown, which is where a lot of the kind of worries about free speech really concentrate. And I I, I would you know I would be with young people in in not wanting an overprotected world. They don't want that, and I don't want that. But the 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 push towards the more extreme places isn't coming out of a uh, kind of democratic openness or free speech uh, motivation. It's coming out of you know monetizing eyeballs, um, grabbing attention. Um, and in that sense, I think there I have a lot of sympathy with the efforts now to um, think how to regulate algorithms for other. Um, purposes and with other motivations than just maintain, maximize attention in the most extreme way possible. Yeah, I think there should be a, a, a new social contract. I've been, I've been <laughs> talking about that for a long time. Where yeah. you know, and some companies now are going there where we can make money and we can do good. And yeah. I appreciate that because you know, money drives decision. But if you you don't have to always close your eyes and go straight for, for the throat, right? Yeah. Are there some positive aspect of the internet, of social media that, that actually can help uh, adolescents with, with mental health vulnerabilities? So is, is it all negative or, or do we have no, some silver not. lining? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think there are there are absolutely positives, um, and in a way, I mean, we began this research uh, thinking about uh, trying to understand what young people are learning as they are in these environments and how they might be learning to um, protect themselves or to cope or to uh, understand kind of more about you know, the wide world and, and what it involves. So. Yeah, young people are full of and kind of proud of, you know, their, their, the ways they're learning, figuring out how to cope. Um, there's a lot of talk about gaming the algorithm to, so that it shows you, you know, kittens and flowers instead of um, doom and gloom and how to how to hurt yourself, um, which um, young people are kind of coming to and sharing tips on not not again to not to live in a kind of uh, saccharine um naive world but to recognize where they have some agency and where they can kind of manage the what's offered to them and what pathways are open to them uh, so I think that they're, they're learning a lot um, yes they're learning a lot more about what goes wrong in the world and the problems of the world than perhaps I knew at their age but they are in lots of ways kind of you know quite kind of savvy and coping and even you know the young people I've been interviewing who 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 are maybe in contact with clinical services who who have very kind of serious vulnerabilities I mean that that sense of their agency that they can learn they can cope they can whether it's they take their digital detox or they um, learn how to kind of manage their feed or um, they know when to call for help from a friend uh, whether online or offline, or when to tell a parent, you know they. So there are really vulnerable moments when they can't, when they don't have the resources to kind of cope as as they would hope. So they're definitely vulnerable, but they are also learning strategies, and some of those are online. And I it, I think it's fascinating how a lot of the kind of the help services and the clinical services now are also, as it were, setting up shop online so that they can be there just in time and in the right place to be reached, perhaps in a confidential 
you know, privacy preserving way that allows a young person to get help without whatever chaos might be at home kind of, you know, noticing and interfering. So online can be a very private and anonymous space that young people really find um, help from sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. And I have some friends that are uh, psychiatric doctors and they, we were talking about how even the two years of pandemic have changed things like where yeah. their practice would have just have to be in person and people wouldn't trust to be doing this on a Zoom call for mm -hmm. a privacy issue. And then they realized that that was actually a good thing because you could get help right there when you mm -hmm. when you need it. So, you know, I, I, I love the fact that you're bringing, you're shining the, the light on the good things about, about mm -hmm. this. And mm -hmm. you said that, we talked about the company, the algorithm, the users, the adolescents and kids themselves, they can start maybe to recognize this thing. But what's the what's the role of the parents in this? I mean, should this address also the parents more in educating them? And I'm kind of connecting with your other book that we talk about. Mm -hmm. I feel like if, if you're facing even a higher risk, maybe you need to be even more prepared. And, and how do you do that as a parent? It, it's difficult. <laughs> and it's difficult for um, several reasons. One, I think um, many parents don't really know what um, mental health difficulties look like. So we kind of hear that they don't recognize the signs. Um, and that might lead them to worry over much about a child who is kind of staring at their smartphone a lot of the time and not saying very much because we know adolescents are kind of moody and don't, you know, uh, reveal everything to their parents anyway. Um, but there, but so, so there is, a, there is a challenge in identifying the signs of a child who is kind of being um, taken down that rabbit hole. And I, I think it would be great if the clinicians and the um, therapists kind of came forward and talked more, what does it look like um, a child who um, maybe is anxious or depressed or self-harming? You know, what, what signs should, should parents look out for? And then kind of connect that to some of the ways in which um, those experiences can be made worse online so what does it look like on tiktok you know what are the what are the signs what are the um you know so so parents could get a bit more um support themselves um but i think i i guess the only other thing parents can really do it, and 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 they should they should receive a lot more support themselves um but the only thing they can do is is try um to avoid as much as possible um being so anxious or worried that they kind of over monitor their child and and create a um generate a, the circumstances in which children kind of want to hide away or not tell mm. especially if they fear their parents are going to take away the phone or ban them from um uh, the whole kind of digital world, which basically, you know, cuts them off from their friends, cuts them off from their peer group, makes them feel like they are um, excluded. So it's it is it is just super difficult. You have to keep talking to talking to your teen. Um, that's the oldest advice, and it is still the best without in in as non judgmental a way as possible. Um, and maybe to be curious, um, invite them mm. to explain to you. So what's this TikTok thing? How does it work? What do you, you mm. know? What do you see? Um, tell me about it because kids are proud of their knowledge and they do love to explain. 
I love that. I love that because uh, most of the time, a lot of parents will be like, oh, my kids, they know technology way better than me and I don't understand this and, and, and they just shy away from it. And I love the idea of why don't you explain it to me? And, mm. and you can kind of get what the way they see things too. Mm. So that's, mm. that's interesting. Now let, let's, let's complicate things a little bit more if, if possible. Mm. Uh, <laughs> with a few minutes that we have left, and uh, virtual reality and and the metaverse, we kind of joked before start recording about this, but we have many conversation already of, on something that we don't even really exactly know what it is. Everybody has his own version of the metaverse, but the point of line is that you immerse yourself in in a world that is gaming, but it's also education, exploring. There are many applications of virtual reality that, that help training and resolving um, fears or mental issues or recovering uh, after a, an event or something like that. So I, I try to pinpoint to the good side of things, but there is also the other side where now you're wearing goggles, you're in a, in a different world. How that affects somebody that, I mean, he's already affecting everybody in a different way because you're kind of there. I mean, there is a professor that wrote a book. It's called Reality Plus, where it just clearly is a philosopher. He says, well, it's not another reality. If you, if you can feel it somehow, <laughs> it's reality for you. So mm-hmm. how this is amplified or, or affect even more um, uh, adolescent with, uh, with vulnerabilities? Mm. We don't know. I mean, that's, that, that's <laughs> we, 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 and we're done with the podcast. Don't, don't. <laughs> um, what do we know? We know um, we know that tech always gets out there to the users before it's thought about these problems. Mm, um, yeah, and problem. that, uh, it is it is a problem. So we have got to find a way. Whether that's regulation, but society's got to find a way to require require the um, innovators to think about children's needs, children's well-being, children's rights before the, the, the tech is out there. Um, we're already hearing stories about uh, young people being approached by predators, by pedophiles, being groomed in um, virtual reality. It's not a surprise. It's happened in every game space, especially every kind of multiplayer um, world that we've built so far. Uh, and eventually belatedly the providers recognize they have to spend real money on moderation and kind of building in safety by design principles so this has got to happen before we hit the headlines with children being being harmed uh, we know that kids are going to love this metaverse when it comes because they are going to explore they're going to think it's theirs and they um, they tell us in the the work we've been doing um, on playful by design that they they want embodied experiences they want whole world experiences they want places where they can you know dress up their avatar and kind of you know feel that they're there with their peers and that they've invested in their um, online persona and built a world together and and the more creative and the more open ended the more they love that so we can it, it is like you know what kids want walking um you know kind of rushing into a future with a lot of risks 
in plain sight and not being dealt with. So I, I think this is the point where regulation has got to step in. Um, I think of it like, um, you know, we, we want the kids to, to have the healthy food to eat, but we have to regulate the food before it hits the supermarket. We, d we don't allow um, all kinds of, you know, poisonous to, to get out there. So somehow that's, that's what's got to happen because... Um, the kids are going to be there first and they're going to explore and they should explore. It's their digital world, but not with known hazards sitting in plain sight. I, I, I notice a, a common thread in, in many of your answers, which they go into, if we do a better world mm. in the internet and in social media or in virtual reality gaming for everyone, then we also take care of many of the problems mm. that we don't have to just resolve for one age group or a social demographic. Or I mean, it's very idealistic, but I, I love that. <laughs> Meaning, why yeah. don't we start with ethics and yeah. then we create the technology on top of that, which little... Well, I, 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 it's, I think this is a real philosophical struggle because I, can, I see how... Um, a kind of, you know, the, the liberal view that um, everyone is free, they should be able to do what they want, say what they want, not be constrained. I, you know, I completely, that, that is fundamental to our sense of agency and our kind of, you know, modern civilization, if you like. But at the same time, I feel like I go into, um, you know, discussions with you or in regulation spaces, and I advocate for what kids need, and someone else is advocating for um, to stop the misogyny against women, and someone else is advocating about racism and dealing with the racial discrimination, and the you know the those people concerned with the people with disabilities are advocating, and actually we're all saying the same thing, and you know add up all those groups, and it is it is the majority, so there has to be some way of of and and we do this in our towns all the time you know I, I i might have said this before but you know when we design a town we design a space that does have some adjustment for people with disabilities and does have ways for children to kind of be on the streets and without being run over and we don't regard that as a constraint we regard that as a civilized space for everyone to a kind of common space and that's what we don't have online because everything is speech and speech is sacrosanct. And um, it's so, so it's a philosophical conundrum. But um, yeah, it's, it's like the brain. paradox of tolerance, right? The, the Karl yeah. Popper one. It's, you know, it's like freedom at a certain point. It has to. It has to stop. Otherwise, we all go back into <laughs> the wild. Well, I, yes, yes. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Isaiah Berlin, so I like not only the negative freedoms, but the positive freedoms. Yes. How do we build for people positively? Because for everyone who is expressing their, you know, hostile and problematic views, the chilling effect on so many others doesn't get counted, doesn't get put into the equation. And we have to think how to enable those, you know, that is enabling positive freedoms. Beautiful. Well, uh, Sonia, I'm going to leave you a minute to maybe... Uh, point if there are some resources or people want to uh, learn more about this and of course uh, we, we will add it to the to the notes in the podcast as well so people can click and go to these links I, i'm sure that hopefully a, a lot of people by now will want to know a little bit more about this uh, so if you 
is okay. that in your place? Yeah. Go, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, um, well, I, I put all my work on my um, website at work, but it's quick to get there from sonyalivingstone.net. And a lot of the work I'm doing around play and child rights, I'm doing with the uh, Digital Futures Commission, which is digitalfuturescommission.org.uk. And, um, or follow me on Twitter at Livingstone underscore mm -hmm. S. All right. And, and they, again, people, you don't have to remember that. Well, yeah. you can click on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I blog way too much. So things kind of. But, but there are places, there are places online again in the internet. And uh, Sonia, I thank you so much. It's, of course, a topic that we cannot exhaust. And, and it's probably always going to be relevant because I'm sure in 10 years from now, there's going to be something else. And, uh, and, and it's going to to affect the way we live and that's why uh, this channel is called redefining society because it's a constant right change is the only constant so sonia thank you very much and uh, i hope to have you back on the show sometimes again um maybe not in a year earlier but uh a year chat it works that's for me i love it goes. yeah it's fun, <laughs> it's fun to talk to you and thank you very much <laughs> thank you bye bye BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.